This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And our goal is to provide our listeners the real facts and the real stats about our local market. You, the, let's say the Warriors, they're not going to go into the next game without a game plan. So why shouldn't you go into the real estate game with without a game plan? So uh, tune in every Saturday. This is where we can strategize and come up with some ideas so you can build your game plan. Um, to help me out today, and one of the great things about this show is that it is a guest-driven show, and our, we have 4,000 uh, guests to pick from because there's about 4,000 members of the Fresno Association of Realtors. So today we have Brian Dominguez, the broker owner of Premier Valley Real Estate. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Look forward to, be, to our chat today. Uh, good. I'm glad you are because uh, so am I. Mainly because one of our 1,000 affiliates is Jonathan Bray of Bray Home Inspections. Good morning. Good morning, Don. Brian? So we're not going to have a shortage of topics today with the two of you guys. I can't imagine we would. No. Uh Uh-uh. And if we do, no worries. I'll fill it. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) All right. First of all, I would love to hear from you, and I ask all the guests, what's your take on the market? Because I'm still scratching my head trying to figure it out. So I'd like to hear your take on it. And um, and it, it may, may be different than some because the ones in the past have been different too. Sure. You know, that's an interesting question, right? That's kind of the million-dollar question in real estate is where are we going and, and what is the uh, current status of the market? So I think... I think I can give you some stats if you wanted them, and I could kind of also tell you just my own personal experience and my gut feeling rounding my 15th year in the business. And I think uh, where we are now is we're we're headed back towards a more stable, normal market. You know, if you look at the the numbers early last year into uh, June, July, it was it was tough to be a buyer. I mean, there were the multiple offers, the inventory was lower, and the prices were real strong. So you had to be extremely competitive. And, uh, you know, I had, there was a lot of frustrated buyers in Central California out there early last year trying to buy a home because they oftentimes got beat out. And then as we kind of rounded the year, you know, into the fall of, of last year, things started to change a little bit. And the uh, inventory increased, the home days on markets increased a little bit. And uh, it kind of gave buyers some more opportunities to start looking around and having some inventory to choose from and, and not have that urgent kind of panic feel that they were feeling at the beginning of the year, which I think was good. You know, I think it's I think it's good to have more stability, uh, more equal balance between buyers and sellers and not have it tilted so far towards the sellers like it had been in the past. So I think we're headed on the right path. Yeah. And, and what, one great thing, even though it's more work for us, is the sellers are back at the negotiating table. Um, last year, the year before, I think the sellers could go let the five buyers duke it out over their home, do the negotiating, and they'd come back and choose which one they wanted. Seems to be normal again. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, And I think you're seeing 
one benefit too is is you're seeing a, a kind of a, a different perspective or a different type of buyer that's able to join the market again. I mean, if you were FHA or VA or you needed some help with closing costs before, you you weren't able to be as competitive, and I, I think you're at a disadvantage where now uh, you may have more of an opportunity. And then I'm also seeing more contingent offers come in of people that have either just put their home on the market or have just recently gone into escrow, and that was kind of a game changer. Too, I think. I've seen that, too. There are more contingent buyers, and um, almost to the point where the sellers can't say, no, I'm not taking a contingency offer. So Yeah. Yeah. You almost got to pay attention to them now. You do. And, and work with them. You do. And, um, you know, that's always been a tough balance for most uh, buyers and sellers is how do I sell my house and buy another one and have that transition be smooth to where I don't have to move twice or, you know, I need the money, the equity out of the home that I have to buy the one that I do. And, and that's always been a dance that as professionals, we've had to help our clients figure out, be the most competitive and then help them get their equity to move on to the next house. So now there's some more flexibility there, I think. Well, it's interesting how we're talking about how it's uh, maybe slowing back down, getting back to normal, but it's still a great market for a seller. I mean, a seller doesn't have to throw in their arms and say, oh, my gosh, it's, uh, you know, I'll never sell it. No, not at all. I think it's a great time still to sell. You know, the values have held strong um, just because the market's slowed. I, I wouldn't say that we've seen a, a decrease in value. We The appreciation uh, may have slowed down a little bit because we were at, I'd say, what, 8% before, and now we're probably more towards the 4 4 or 5 percent per year which is still a great return on your investment and um it's it's not it's a good time to sell still Mm -hmm. well i pulled some stats this morning uh and this is for may the month of may for 2017 18 and 19 so price wise in 2017 the uh, median price was 247,000 the following year in 2018 it grew to 269 so $22,000 rise. Um, then this year, May was 279000 so a $10,000 rise. So it's still rising, but you can see not at the same pace. Mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing about the Central Valley market, I think, is we have to kind of look at ourselves differently than we do the rest of the state. You know, the, the Silicon Valleys of the world and, and greater metro L.A. area, are different markets, and I think because we've been affordable for so long, we will remain attractive longer than some of those areas who are more uh, volatile and seeing such a huge influx of, of tech money. And and as that starts to change, I think the Central Valley's uh, always been a, a good buy and, and continues to be a good place to, to buy a home and, and live in California is still reasonably affordable. Yeah, and we can still build here. So we have the land. Right. Um, whereas over in the Bay Area, not so much. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, to show you how the market hasn't slowed down that much, I mean, I remember for years and years and years, even before you got into the market, <laughs> you know, it, it would take three months, four months to sell a home, probably on the average. All right. Then here's your average days on the market. In 2017, it was 33. It dropped to 28 days on the market in 2018, and now this past May it was 34. So 
it's still pretty darn fast. It's real fast for a seller, right? They've got to start packing, get an offer, and start packing uh, relatively soon. So yeah, no, I think those are those are good numbers. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's not a bad idea to pack before you even put it on the market. That's a, you know, your realtor and your and the buyers will appreciate appreciate you starting that process early. I think if you uh, can box up what you're not using and kind of declutter a little bit, absolutely, sure, It'll help you get more money too. It might shorten that days on market. And you know, most people are moving because they need more space. So if the seller mo- takes things out and it shows more available space, when the buyer comes in, they might just see, hey, there's more space here. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes people's personal belongings as neat uh, as they are to them to themselves and, and to everybody else possibly, you know, they could be a distraction. And, and I've gone in and looked at some pretty great art before and, and uh, been awed by that and then get distracted and forget that I'm looking at a house. So The home inspector will appreciate that as well. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that. I was going to ask you, John, so how many times have you gone out on a home inspection and there was so much stuff? I didn't say clutter. I said stuff. <laughs> there was so much stuff that you couldn't do a full inspection. Sure, sure. One of the one of the boxes on our report indicates whether the house is occupied or vacant, and sometimes I have to mark heavily occupied, <laughs> just because there's if there's a if there's a so much stuff in there. We don't move furniture. We don't move personal belongings if we don't have permission. We, there's certain things we we're, we just for liability purposes we just don't do. So if we can get to more parts of the house, obviously we're able to you know get a more thorough inspection. Sometimes we have to just you know use that as a disclaimer with the buyers. One house I went into. Um, one house, over 6,000 inspections now, one house. I specifically remember the bo- the living room, the kitchen, the dining room, the bedrooms, everything were boxes. And they lived, this was boxes, and there was one path through every room. You couldn't get to the oven. You couldn't get to the dishwasher. You could get to the sink and the kitchen. But it's, yeah. So and the refrigerator. And I'm the, sure. and the refrigerator. <laughs> and it wasn't moving day, like huh? that. It was not moving day, no. No, they were actually shocked that the place was, was, was getting bought because they were like, oh, we got to do something with all this stuff. So that's, that's, that's rare. But, yo, it's, you, get a better, you can get a better product, better service from the home inspector for sure. Sure. And um, how many, I think the most common one is in the garage where there's so many boxes packed along the walls that you guys can't get to the electrical. Absolutely. The pest control inspector can't get to the seals to see, you know, if there's any termite infestation. And so what it does is it causes a delay. Yeah. Because you got to move that stuff eventually. Better right. to do it beforehand because now the inspector's got to come back to finish the report and the inspection. Yeah, and you mentioned the pest inspection, and it's funny. You know, a lot of times people that aren't familiar with a real estate pest inspection say, "Oh, you know, I don't need to worry about that. I have a service every every month, and they come, and there's no spiders, and the ants are taken care <laughs> of in the summer, and then we have to explain wood destroying organisms, and that that's not just uh, spiders, that that's you know termites and and fungus and dry rot and things that are going to eat at the wood and and then having to have access to their perimeter so there there is kind of a misnomer there when you talk about a pest inspection in real estate I think yeah that is a common mistake people think spiders and ants but that's um, termites live in a whole different world yeah. for sure yeah and then plumbing leaks too you know the people really scratch their head when they've got a, a leaking toilet on their pest inspection in addition to their home <laughs> inspection it's like wait a minute yeah. how'd yeah. that get on there thought we were looking for termites 
So, okay, here's the good question that a lot of sellers think of, and John, you could probably answer this one, and that is, like, why is a water leak on a pest inspection? Well, to tie into that, the um, cockroaches, ants, rodents are considered nuisance pests, whereas the technical, I think, term for a termite pest inspection is considered, like Brian mentioned, a wood-destroying organism inspection. Um, you, you, you leave water in a spot for too long, it's going to create dry rot. It's going to you know, damage the wood. You're going to get fungus. You're going to get moisture. It's going gonna, it's gonna to eat the wood. And you can see that you know, a lot of times on your fascia board on the outside or uh, underneath the sink, you know, kitchen sink. And I understand dry rot is like fudge brownies to flying termites. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You put the moisture out there, their termites will come. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We are going to go to our first commercial break, but when we get back, we're going to answer a question that came in from a Southern California broker. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and in the studio we have Jonathan Bray of Bray Home Inspections here with us, and Brian Dominguez, broker-owner of Premier Valley Real Estate, in the studio with us today. Um, so anyway, we got, or I received a, a message last night with an interesting question, and I'm going to read it. And It's a local broker who said he has a, a, a real estate friend in Southern California that has an issue going on. And I thought this is a good opportunity to, to learn, all of us to learn, too, especially if you're buyers and sellers out there, you know, what to do and what not to do. So basically, there were three offers on a listing. The seller chose the all-cash offer. Um, with all-cash, there's fewer issues to come up. Uh during the escrow, the buyer changed from cash to financed. And um, the guy says, I believe that's a big no-no and likely voids the contract. Um, what, you know, uh, what do you do as a seller and as a buyer? So I'm going to throw that out. And, Brian, I'm sure you've run across that before. Well, let's look at it first from the, the seller side. All right. So what should the seller do? Well, I, you know, I think when the seller has options, which is nice, when you've got a couple different offers that you're looking at when you're selling your home and, you, and you're evaluating them, you're looking, you really are looking at the, the terms of the offers. And if you've got one that says it's cash and you've got another one that says it's financed, when you look at the cash one, you, you may think because there's no loan contingency or possibly no appraisal contingency that you're going to, choose that and that's more favorable less risk for you kind of more of a a done deal so i think it's it is really important when a seller's considering an offer that the terms in the offer are accurate right and really what they say they are so when you get kind of a bait and switch if you will uh, where you got a cash offer and then you you find out later that no actually we're going to go ahead and get financing which may come with um, additional contingencies i think that is a concern for a seller because um, had they known that maybe they would have made a different decision right mm -hmm. so i think i think knowing what's in an offer and how to what the impacts are as a seller are really important up front so that's kind of the, getting back to your question about so now what do you do now that you've got um you're in contract 
with the buyer and uh, they've decided to switch financing. You know, should you cancel the deal? Well, I would, I probably, before I got to that point, I would ask a few more questions, right? Because it still may be in your best interest now that the clock started and you you started packing and you're making plans to move. Uh, it, it may still be in your best interest to stick with this this particular buyer, but I think you should ask some questions uh, about their financing and, and how that might change your timetable and and then go back to them and kind of have a conversation about how you're going to restructure the, the deal. Okay, I like that. Talk to them restructure because here's what I believe a buyer should do. The buyer goes into it and has all the cash, maybe even gave the proof of funds that, hey, I have all the cash, but then all of a sudden realizes that, wow, interest rates are cheap out there. I should do that. They should talk with the seller, not directly, but through their agents and say, I would like to do this with your blessing because I know it's a change of the terms, but here's what I'm going to do for you. So you all, in negotiating, you always got to remember what's in it for the other person too. Sure, it's better not to use all your cash from the buyer's side, but look at the seller. So maybe what they could do is renegotiate and say, okay, I'm going to make my deposit non-refundable, and I'm going to waive the financing and the appraisal contingencies. Mm-hmm. This way, it is like a cash offer. Right. Um, I've even had it before where a buyer says, you know what? Um, I was going to pay half of the home warranty, but now I'll pay it all to compensate you for the trouble. So that's that's what good negotiation is. I agree. I, that's a great, you know, and sometimes it's not, you know, you want to hope that the intent of the buyer wasn't to to create a false illusion that, that they were cash and then do and then switch, you know. Um, so maybe, like you said, they, they fully intended on paying cash. They had the funds available, and then they looked at the interest rates and thought, well, why would I, why would I tie up all my money when I can borrow so reasonably right now? And 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 if that's the conversation, then that that I think that's easier for the seller to digest. And uh, like you said, if they can put some more perks in there as they renegotiate, then maybe it won't be such a bad deal after all. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends, too, because there's different types of financed offers. So if you're going for a conforming loan with the lowest interest rates, um, okay, and you're going to go through an underwriter who's going to want this and want that, and okay, that's one thing. I've seen this before where, let's say, an investor is going to do all cash and then comes in with um, uh, and says, hey, I'm going to finance it now. But it's a private money loan. There are really no contingencies to it. Right. That's a little bit different. It's still misleading to call it all cash. Don't get me wrong. but um, It's pretty close to all cash. I mean, it's not as many strings attached, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I've had that happen, too. I had an investor do that, um, and I said, oh, we can't be switching like that midterm. He goes... Look, he goes, the guy will put the money in the in the uh, escrow tomorrow. He goes, come with me. We went and met the guy at his home, and he says, hey, Mikey, yeah, how are you? <laughs> and he says, sure, I'll, I'll give it to you. And that's all he had to do was ask. Right. Uh, and so it was almost like a line of credit. Yeah. So much of this business, I think, the problems that arise are due to lack of communication, right? I mean, we're going to have challenges, and that's our job uh, as professionals is to help our clients navigate those. And I've, what I've found is when you have honest communication and you, you're, you 
communicate what the situation is, it kind of reduces the fear. When you don't communicate and you're doing things the other party doesn't know about, I think the anxiety and the fear really kind of goes through the roof. Yeah, yeah. So um, now I think it's important to note, too, that that is not a void contract. It just, it, in other words, a, a null and void. Like a null and void contract would be like not having a termination date. Or I think one of the five elements of a contract, yeah. which would be uh, taking me back to that real estate law law class, little little fog, foggy back there. But yeah, you're right. There's those components, right? I remember there's five of them, but you notice I paused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having to remember the first one. Yeah. Uh, but but like not having a termination date, not having signatures, not having compensation. Right. Whew, I got three of them. There you go. I could wish I could help you with the other two. <laughs> but. But anyway, the point is it's not void, it's voidable. So maybe the seller can go back and say, I'm going to void this. I have the ability to void it because you've changed the terms. But I think he has to give notice to the buyer to say, hey, you've got two days to do this, to um, go back to a cash offer, like you said, or I am going to cancel. Right. Yeah. So, I think, like you said, though, it's important to, to think through beyond the immediate reaction of just, I want to get out of this. Well, maybe maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. Might need some more information on that. Right. Yeah. Um, remember my grandmother used to tell me, you always know what you have. You don't know what you might get. Right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and always, always listen to Italian grandmothers. <laughs> right. They are they're right. <laughs> even when they're, they're wrong. Even when they're wrong, that's right. <laughs> you guaranteed a good meal even if they're wrong. <laughs> that's a good point. Um let's get back to some of the, the market and, and the stats. So um your your take is that it's still a great market. I think it is, yeah. For buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. And a lot more opportunity for buyers out there. Um, you made a good comment. You said it was last year. It was tough to be a buyer. It was. Yeah, and and um, tough to be a home inspector too, right? <laughs> it's it's never tough to be a home inspector, Don. <laughs> okay. It's tough because you couldn't. You wish you had more hours in the day, right? right. You had so many uh, inspections yeah. to do. So as the market maybe the wind's blowing in a different direction right now. What difference do you see from a home inspector side? Um, I think mostly what I see is um, really depends on the clientele that you're doing your inspections for, but I find that um, a lot of times if you're in a, what we, what you get, what we refer to as a seller's market, um, the, the seller has a lot of control over what's going on in the transaction and that also means that the buyers um, are maybe paying a little bit more than what they're comfortable. They're 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 re- they're stretching a little bit. They're having to put a little bit more of their monthly income into buying this house and more of their savings or borrow money, get money gifted from other you know other people. What happens in those situations is the um, buyers become more um, particular. They want they want certain things looked at a little bit closer. They have a few more questions about. Yeah. Hey, what, what does this mean? So they're looking for situations where they can maybe negotiate um, for something. Whereas in a market like we're in now, so to speak, it's more a little bit more flexible. It goes both ways. And what I'm finding myself doing 
in a buyer's market like this, I'm doing a lot more pre-listing inspections for sellers. Mm -hmm. So sellers, to speed up that whole process, when you get an offer accepted, now you've got 17 days to do your due diligence, right, your inspections. If they get a pre-listing inspection done ahead of time, it can cut down on some of that. So I see a lot more of that starting to happen now as well. The seller's calling saying, hey, we want to get these inspections done up front so we can offer you know, potential buyers the inspection. They can see what it is they're buying up front and maybe cut down on our 17-day contingency period and maybe even possibly remove the inspection contingency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they do that a lot in different markets like Southern California, the Bay Area. Pre-inspections are Absolutely. probably the norm. Absolutely. Uh, I highly recommend them. I, mm-hmm. think, I think it's uh, – you're going to have an insp- – someone's going to inspect your house you might as well find out up front what, what's going to come up. Just get someone to come in, like, you know, that does this all the time and can give you an idea of, so you don't have any, you know, you're not 10 or 12 days into your escrow process and all of a sudden this thing pops up. You're like, what? I didn't even realize. I've been living with that for 20 years. Yeah. And the, the classic things are the outlet covers in the garage that weren't there. All right. So if you do a pre-inspection, sure. you're going to see that and say, sure. oh, that's only 29 cents yeah. down at... At yeah. the pharmacy. Right. You can buy yeah. it at the pharmacy. <laughs> Don't also. even have to go to a hardware <laughs> right. store. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Um, are you, do you get involved very much, John, with um, after the repairs have been made? Do, re-inspection. Sure. Yes. Sure. Um, absolutely. And I recommend those as well. If you've got a you know pretty good laundry list of repairs that you've asked for in your request for repairs, um, the seller agrees to do them or do part of them, then I'm getting a lot of um, re, what I call we call a reinspection. Basically, go back out closer toward the end of escrow and just verify that the work was done. Number one, and done correctly. Number two. So sometimes we see it was done, but it wasn't quite done the way it, it, it should have been. And there's a lot. Of, there's it's either right or it's wrong. There's no. It's not a lot of gray areas in there. It's just. It's you can't you know I, I don't put my personal preference oh I prefer the pipe underneath the sinks to be black versus white no it's 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 if it's plumbed correctly and it's hooked up right and it's not leaking it's doing its job yes it was done correctly. I used to use a home inspector he's retired now John Grower from Target Home Inspection many years ago, and he said that there is no gray area in home inspections it's either black or white it's either right or wrong, and ironically he was a uh, official for high school football, which it was the per- I could see that. In fact, you should moonlight as that, John, <laughs> because it's either a penalty or it's not a penalty. Yeah, yeah. there's a rule book. We follow the rule book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, realtors, we have it a little bit differently. <laughs> we do. It, it's uh, sometimes it's right. <laughs> Sometimes it's mostly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it just depends. Yeah, that's right. And depending on that, we are going to our next commercial break. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with us today on this fine June morning, we have Brian Dominguez and Jonathan Bray. Uh, Jonathan is home inspector, as you probably, if you've been listening to the first two segments, you know that, and you know that Brian is a real estate broker here. So, uh, 
earlier during the break, Brian caught me counting on my fingers. <laughs> I was counting the nine, nine syllables to our next topic about architecturally significant homes. Well, if you add homes in there, that's ten syllables. <laughs> that's right. That's a lot for me. So um, let's talk about that. I mean, character is another way to put it. Character counts, right? Isn't that the old saying? Yeah, and that's fewer syllables, by the way. <laughs> that is. You, you could have come we, up with that one. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's interesting when you look at, we, we talk a lot of generally general statements about the market and what's happening, but I think it's interesting, too, to kind of drill down sometimes. And one of the things in my office uh, that we talk about a lot are architecturally significant homes, and, and the agents in my office um, – market those a little differently sometimes because a lot of times there's a story behind why they're different, who designed them, who's lived there, how they've been showcased. And so I think there is a, a different market sometimes for um, homes that have character. And uh, we call them architecturally significant. So Okay. <laughs> yeah. And not just your standard subdivision home. Right. And not that not that that's, we're saying one is better than the other. I think it's preference, right? I mean, you have mm-hmm. buyers that like um, to buy a traditional home in a housing track, and, and they're okay that the same model is duplicated throughout, that they like it, and that, and that's great, and that and I've lived in that myself. Um, and then there's, o- there's other buyers who kind of have a different appreciation for more history, more character, more uniqueness, where they're not seeing the same thing replicated over and over again. So when I go back in my memory to my real estate classes at Fresno State, I remember this one professor said, you buy a home for two basic reasons. One is to use it, and number two is for the investment. And he said each person will have those two things in a different balance. So from a use standpoint, if you find one of these unique character homes, I mean, your the use of it is unique to you. You enjoy it. Maybe others don't like that style as much. Oh, that's true. I mean, you talk about a mid-century modern home, right? I mean, there's there's people usually on both sides, either side of that fence. They they love them. They appreciate it. They like the commercial architecture of the same era. They know the architects. They know the 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 traditional components of a mid-century modern home. And then you have other people who who don't appreciate that or. or that's not their preference. So um, I think the unique thing about a home that's got some character is, and some history really is is you get to use that if you choose take the time to research it and you get to market or tell a different story about that home that um, you couldn't on a, on a traditional house that, that you may not know the history, right? So, for example, uh, an agent in my office, Megan Thompson, had a listing on – uh, Barstow it was a mid-century modern home, and and she had researched who the architect was, who had a following in the mid-century community, and uh, there was artistic uh, flair to it, kind of throughout. So she really created this this team of um, stagers, artists, ar- architect, the local architecture institute chapter in Fresno, and put an event together and really highlighted the the story behind the house, who designed it, how it it really was more of kind of an art piece. And um, she had a huge turnout, and that home had been on the market previous before without that story component of it, and it, and it had taken some time to sell. She sold it, I think, with multiple offers in the first four days. And a lot of it was because she was able to extrapolate the, the extras about it that you couldn't see if you just did a typical tour in an open house and, and showcase that. And I think 
that's a neat piece of what we do is if we if we want to take the time to do the research and create the story to explain to the consumer what what it is they're looking at beyond just the the brick and mortar structure that we we can and there's some impact and that makes me think i mean she created a story about it or not recreated yeah a story just told the story about it right Yeah. yeah which so often we just give basic facts yeah, it's 2,000 square feet. It's a 3-2. Got an indoor laundry room. Right. Okay. I always laugh when, when you're on a tour with a realtor and they say, on the, you know, this is the dining room and this is the kitchen as if the consumer doesn't notice that a stove and a sink. And, I mean, of course, yeah. that's the kitchen. And, you know, here's the, this is the master bedroom. That's what a home inspection's for. <laughs> you know, right. To right. tell you right. that it's like, a kitchen. Yeah. Let's well, and that it has on-demand plumbing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that, I, that we wouldn't know. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's, let's kind of get a little more creative in our home tours here, you know, other than pointing out the basic rooms, I think. That's always been one of my pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Along with price per square foot, and yeah, right. anyway, um, we have those sort of things in our industry as well. We have sort of like, it, like you said, it's pretty obvious that that this is the kitchen. It's got the stoves. So I'm driving down the road the other day, and I saw this sign on the side of a truck. It said, "Mobile plumber." <laughs> as opposed to going I was like, I'm going to put a sign on the side of my car that says mobile home inspector. <laughs> like I come to you and I'm like, really? <laughs> well, yeah. I got a good one for you, John. How about uh, it, for redundancy? Uh, how about hot water heater? I ah, see it all the time. It's yeah, absolutely. It's a hot. Yeah, it's yeah. No, we call it a water heater. <laughs> It's yeah. a water heater. It's a cold water heater, actually. Because <laughs> it heats the cold water. It doesn't heat the hot water, right? Oh, yeah. boy. No, it's now, now we're getting yeah. into technicalities. Yeah. No, it's, it's just fun. It's, yeah, potato, yeah, it's potato. Our, our push-button items here, huh? Yeah. yeah. All right. So going back to the, the thing about you, we're taking a architecturally significant home. So using it is is what you want to do. But from an investment standpoint, would you say that a architecturally significant home like let's say a Tudor style home or a Cape Cod style home is a better investment you know that's a good that's a good question um, a, it's a different type of investment what is it a better investment I think I think it depends on who you are and what you're so there's part of when you're buying your primary home you talked about the use component right and the value associated with that and I think that when you buy an architecturally significant home that you will always have a buyer for it um, because it's unique and because it, it has the, some of the things that a certain group of buyers are looking for. So I, I don't think um, you'll ever have a hard time selling it. For mm-hmm. example, if you look at some of the neighborhoods that have architecturally significant homes, some, you know, pockets of the Northwest, old Fig Garden, uh, Tower, you know, there there's generationally been a, a demand for, for those types of properties. So I, I, think, they're, I think they're a good investment. Mm-hmm. And I would even offer that they're a good investment, not because there's always going to be a buyer for it. Well, well, there will be, but that's because they're in lower supply. That's right. You just can't go four doors down the the street and get the same thing. Right. So they are, they're different. Yeah. And it was interesting. We, our office meeting the other day, we had a... um a a local designer who owns Hemisphere Home come in and talk to us about design trends. And you you have kind of a, you know, the utility of a home as a buyer that you're looking for, the school district, is there enough rooms for my kids? Is the floor plan open? Can I be in the kitchen and see my guests watching football in the living room? You know, those those kinds of basic things. But what uh, Roseanne kind of challenged us to do was to look at how 
space makes you feel when you walk into it and and does it create a the type of emotion that you want and i and i had to be honest with her that's not something that i had spent a lot of time with my buyers talking about well, how does the space make you feel but the the design the colors the layout the architecture does have an impact on that too which i thought was interesting so i had a buyer many years ago that i learned a big lesson from i was getting a little bit frustrated in my younger days, you know, showing houses one after another after another. And gas was a lot cheaper back then, Don. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not that old. <laughs> so, yes, I am. <laughs> my first, and I'm not going to even say that. Okay, but anyway, this buyer finally told me, Don, these houses that we're looking at, the walls are not talking to me. And I'm thinking, oh man, this this is this is crazy, right? But it kept resonating in my head, and finally I understood her. She wanted character, yeah, an architecturally significant, significant home. home. That's right. Um, had to get her up in price a little bit, but uh, we we ended up doing it, and um, so that's a that's a big thing. So, are there pockets of town where those are more common? Yeah, I think a lot of the uh, older neighborhoods, you'll see architecturally significant homes. You know, if you start, well, I mean, we're we're sitting downtown right now in your studio, and and there's not a lot of residential homes left. But I think if you look at them, just starting at the core of our city before we started growing, um, that the architecture there from the 20s is is definitely significant. Um, and then as you go out, you know, Tower District and, and Old Fig Garden and, and even into the 70s where there was the mids, you know, some of the stuff that's on in Northwest. Um, yeah, Old Town Clovis, for example, there's there's different pockets of architecturally significant homes. It'll be interesting to see after all this production building, generations of that, if we start to go back to more of a custom, unique approach when we're developing neighborhoods. Or here's a thought for all of you to ponder. So let's fast forward to the year 2050. Yeah. Is the millennial modern home going to be that architecturally significant home? It might be. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I don't know. It um that's a good that's a good question. It's interesting to see where we'll in 30 years what uh and I just made that up. Millennial modern. I don't I know. even know what that you, means. Yeah, they might want to market that. That <laughs> right. might work, yeah. The millennials coming up to the highest, you know, one of the biggest generations there are, right? And you heard it here first on Welcome Home Radio. <laughs> so with that, we're going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned for more of this on 940 ESPN. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio, we have Brian Dominguez, broker owner at Premier Valley Real Estate, and Jonathan Bray of Jonathan. And I guess you're the uh, owner of Jonathan Bray Real, uh, Home Inspection, right? Owner-operator. Owner-operator, <laughs> yes, yep. yeah. Chief dishwasher. Large staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do they say? Don't buy me if I'm... Talking to myself, I'm having a staff meeting. Okay. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, um, when when do you not need a home inspection? When do you not need a home inspection? I would say never. I would say never. Mm-hmm. You know, mm, I had a house one time. I showed up to inspect, and I wondered why they were having a home inspection because. 
essentially what they were doing was they were buying the house to demo it. I mean, they were taking sheetrock down to the walls and down to everything. I mean, they were taking cabinets. It was They were gutting it down to the framing. Um, they still had a home inspection, Don. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll do it, no problem. I still went through, and I made, did my job and gave them the thing. And to me, to me, no matter what you're buying, it's money well spent for... Uh, what is it around three three fifty something like that? Depending on what size home you're buying, price range. I mean, it's to me, it's cheap insurance. You're getting a three dollars and fifty. Cents. Yeah, three dollars and fifty cents a square foot, Don. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so so I would I would say I would say that's the investment is there. You get someone in there to. I mean, I have about four hundred checkpoints I do on every home. I don't tear a house apart. I don't need to. I just go through and do my job. Do the exact same job every time. But you're getting a professional opinion about the current condition of that home and it's unbiased i'm not i'm working for the buyer i'm paid for by the buyer sometimes the seller if it's a pre-listing inspection but i still just do you still you still do this exact same job every time mm-hmm. and then the and then the and then whoever your client is is getting you know the best bang for their buck too so brian as a broker representing a buyer what do you say or how do you counsel your buyer when the buyer said you know I don't think I really, or, or my Uncle Bill tells me I don't really need a home inspection. <laughs> or he wants to inspect it. Ah, Uncle Bill wants to inspect and it. And he's a contractor, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've had both of those scenarios, and I and I always tell the buyer that it's in their best interest to have as much information as they can about the biggest financial purchase of their life, most likely, right? So, as Jonathan said, for a relatively small investment to have spend a I said, you know, you, you don't even have to show up. I'll go for you. You know, let's let's just get the information so you have one more thing to review and analyze as you're making a decision. And and if you know you you don't need it, throw it away. But in this in the situation that you, I'd rather you have had it and not need it than wish you had had it after you already own it and you find out there's huge problems you weren't aware of. Yeah, and if you're spending a quarter million dollars on something, I think investing three hundred and fifty dollars in some knowledge about that quarter million dollar investment it's a no-brainer yeah yeah it, it's it's really worth it um john what are the major issues that you find you, you said you have 400 checkpoints i'll bet there's certain things that come up over and over and over again um yeah as we were talking during the break i think the three biggest issues is water water and water so plumbingly you stole that one i from did me. steal that one from you. i'm going to give you credit for it though <laughs> yeah thanks don um, but if we, you know, um, yeah, seeing water underneath underneath cabinets or water, rainwater coming off the roof if it's not controlled properly, um, the grading around a house if you've got water that's not able to get away from the house and comes up against the foundation, um, it can get underneath the house, it can get up against the wood. Um, wood and water, you know, mix for a long period of time just don't mix very well. The the, the wood's going to lose unless eventually. it's well painted. Unless it's well, even if it's well, yeah, yeah, you got to keep it well painted. That's you. You keep a good coat of paint. That's what's going to keep the water out of the wood and protect it. So, yeah, that um, you know, electrical issues periodically. I see a lot of uh, homeowner handyman, you know, repairs done on electrical stuff. And and the nice thing about electrical stuff I find is most of it's pretty easy to be repaired. Um, it's just a matter of getting the right guy in there to do it. You want to mm-hmm. get it done correctly, and it's you know pulling a couple of wires apart and you know put the right wires back together. So, absolutely. <laughs> After you get fried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminds me in college when I tried to change my outlets from that kind of yellowish to white, and I didn't have power in my laundry room out of the back bedroom for about six months until I finally called an electrician. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some things are really easy. I remember a home. In fact, it was my Uncle Mike. 
the, the and he used to do a upholst- car upholstery uh, at nighttime as kind of a second job. So he had lights everywhere in, in his back patio, and of course he put it all up himself, so none of it was to code. And a buyer says, "Whoa, you got to do this and this and this." We finally negotiated, and we said, well, "You know, if you don't do nighttime auto upholstery, why don't we just pull it out?" And it became about a hundred dollar job to have an electrician professionally take it out, cap it off, and, and be done with it. Right. Yeah, so, right. okay, on the water, what what should a homeowner do? And, and not just during a purchase of when you're buying or selling, but on a regular maintenance um, schedule. What, what should a homeowner do to make sure that water is not going to hurt their home? Well, um, make sure you pay attention to any leaking, any, any water leaks. Um, a lot of times underneath our sinks and bathrooms, it's a great place to store stuff. Or in the kitchen, it's a great place to store your cleaning products or your trash bags or your garbage can or stuff gets in the way. Well, what happens is if you've got a slow leak developing, just a really slow leak, but, you know, underneath a k- kitchen faucet or a bathroom sink or from the drain, you're not paying attention to it until all of a sudden you pull that stuff out and now, you know, the wood's rotted. Pay attention to that kind of stuff. Periodically just, you know, grab a flashlight even and look underneath your sinks and make sure. Or if you open up the cover and you, you sort of smell that little musty musty smell. Another big part of it is um, ventilation. You know, a lot of homes are built nowadays with, you know, exhaust fans in the bathrooms. And uh, you've got a vent fan over top of your, your cooktop in your kitchen. Um, turn those on. Utilize them. Get the moisture and the humidity out of that. Well, what happens is nowadays we build our houses so tight and so airtight that it just traps all that humidity and moisture we have from bathing, from cooking, from washing dishes to uh, even the fish tank is going to emit a certain amount of moisture into the air, the dog's water bowl. I mean, little stuff like this, but it builds up over time inside of the house, and you can get rid of a lot of your moisture-related discoloration, as we like to call (laughs) mold in our industry. Uh, you can get rid of a lot of that kind of stuff and, and even some health problems, you know, related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the outside of the house, pay attention. If, you've, if we've got a heavy rain come in here in Fresno, it doesn't come for long extended periods of time, but it all drops at once, right? So pay attention outside when it's raining. St- go outside a little bit, grab an umbrella, and just look and see if there's any water ponding up against your house and maybe create some French drains or some drainage to get the water away from the house. Make sure your rain gutters are doing what they're supposed to do. Make sure they're not clogged with leaves and dirt and, you know, make sure they're flowing where they're supposed to be and, and taking the water, you know, away from the house like it should be. I always thought that the, pr- the function of rain gutters was to collect leaves. It is. It is. It's a great place for an herb garden, too. I've seen that a lot. So I, I showed a house about a month ago. Inside the house was impeccably clean. It was beautiful. But you go outside, and they had one-foot-tall weeds growing yeah. out of yeah, the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, if you're going to sell your home, look at the whole picture. Yeah. Rain gutters and fences are the two. All right. So first of all, uh, John. What do you want our listeners to remember most about today's show? Um, the right time to get a home ins- or not to get a home inspection is never. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Brian, how about you? It's a great market for buyers and sellers. I would say it's kind of the the, the highlight. Mhm. And real quickly, what's your best real estate advice, Brian? Buy it. Uh, buy buy investment property, not just your own primary, but I think people really should uh, and a lot do, you know, look at Real estate investment is part of your retirement portfolio. 
All right. John, how about you? you got 20 seconds to tell us your best real estate is advice. It, is it buy low and sell high? Does that <laughs> work? Or I think it's buy something because buy land they're not making anymore. There That's you right. go. Yeah. want to thank all our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you had as much fun as we did here in the studio. And talk to you guys all next week. Thank you for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio. <laughs>